0: We know you're on the go. So take us with you. Listen live with our ESPN 1420 app. Anywhere in the world. ESPN 1420. Scared money don't make money. Great Scott! The great- scott show the great sports callers open think tank i'm scott prather everything is working the the way it is supposed to be in the studio right now in the speakers in my headphones it has been fixed praise jesus took a while but we got it appreciate you guys um I stuck with it last hour, having to move around, record the Napier interview in a different studio, come back, play it in here. A lot of moving parts, but now we are back. Everything's up and running. Phone lines are open at 269-1077. College football. We're going to dig into that. Got plenty more talk on the Saints and NFL as well. It was a hell of a game last night, huh? That was the full Lamar Jackson experience last night. But college football. Um... You know, I think the biggest there were a couple of big surprises to me. Um, one was Florida keeping it as close as they did. Yes, it was in Gainesville. Yes, they are in the top 10. But that thing was a two-point game where Florida was able to move the ball effectively. And Alabama's run game couldn't even get over 100 yards, all together. Alabama wants to run the table, and, and they're the overwhelming favorite. You know, did that take a step back? Look, they're 3-0. They went on the road against the top 10 team, and yet everyone's a little surprised that it was close. Okay. Tells you something about where they're at. Um, You know, USC being down 14 nothing early and then, what I think it was fourteen nothing with like a minute left in the first half, and starting quarterback was injured. A lot of times when a team's fires their head coach and they've got a new guy at the helm, you see this sort of rally, and you know a lot of interest. You didn't see it for a while. You're like, man, what's happening? Well, <laughs> tale of two abs, right? Trojans finished with like 400 passing yards and four touchdowns from their backup Jackson Dart. They end up winning the game 45 to 14. Texas San Antonio, the roadrunners, the team that Louisiana defeated in a bowl game last year is up and running. They are three and zero under Jeff Trailer. They beat middle Tennessee by two scores. They had a plus yard rushing performance from their running back. Sincere McCormick. What a great name. Athlete actor, human being doesn't matter. That is an amazing name. And the sincere McCormick is, I mean, the guy might be an All-American this year. And then Marshall loses. Charlotte loses to Georgia State, by the way. And the Roadrunners are the only undefeated team in Coosa right now. And they head to Memphis this week. Memphis, who just beat Mississippi State. Um. Surprises. Clemson. What? What? Again, yes, they won like Bama did, but Bama won by two on the road against a top-ten team in the SEC. Clemson escaped Georgia Tech? 284 yards is the fewest by Clemson in league play since 2014. Last time they were held under three back-to-back games against the Power Five was over a decade ago. It, it, the post-Trevor Lawrence, Clemson is not that overwhelming favorite we thought. Uh, Miami, a team that I thought was going to be good this year, not. They lost like, they lost by three touchdowns to Michigan State. bad you already know Florida State's bad and now they're 0-3 for the first time in 76 that was Bobby Bowden's first season Whew. Boise State blowing it against Oklahoma State that was disappointing because I like watching Mike Gundy lose Boise misses a 36-yard field goal in the final minute Ball got tipped, got blocked. Just, you know, Boise State goes up in games and loses. I I guess the Boise State thing really isn't a surprise. But that's what kind of stood out for me. And then you have LSU. And I, I, I heard it on social media. I heard it from haters. Oh, well, you know, it's just Central Michigan. Let me tell you something. LSU needed to look like that against a team from the mac more than ever. They needed to win in the trenches. Oh, it's just the Mac school. Yeah, I know. But having watched them against and then watched them against McNeese State. Oh, they were a 20-point favorite. Yeah, and they covered and some. Max Johnson threw five touchdowns, six if you want to count the pick six. That was bad. There was one big defensive breakdown that led to an easy touchdown by Central Michigan, and other than that, it was it was a a, a, a you know, I didn't think LSU was going to lose. I didn't think they were going to cover. I was like, this how you have a must win team against a Max school? Yeah, they won by they won against McNeese the week before. Oh, what twenty seven? And they won Saturday by 28, but if you watch the two games, you could see the considerable difference in the two. And now they head to Starkville next week to begin SEC play on a Saturday morning. Jack Betts, shout-out to the uh, Lafayette native STM alum. He was looking good, got his first touch here. Boy, what an impressive one two one-handed. Three LSU true freshman receivers getting involved. Still, LSU, to me, the biggest concern is that run game. I mean, they they rushed for 84 yards. 24 attempts. In a game where they ran a lot of offensive plays. In a game where they won the time of possession battle by well over 15 minutes. I say well over. I think it was actually, yeah, yeah. I mean, just dominated in time of possession. Yet couldn't get it done. On the ground. Outside of that, a lot of other areas, there was improvement. They needed to see it. So it stood out from college football over the weekend. And then on the Sun Belt, boy, there were some scares there for a while for the belt, which has been beating their chest, talking about how much they've improved. Understandably so, the Sun Belt has over the years. And it was a weekend where you had a number of teams. Look, ULM got their first win and since 2019, that was good. Um, there were some close calls, though. There were teams that were down in games where you're like, "Really? What's what's this is the game you're going to blow?" But overall, they held on, and uh, what well, I just. They needed it in a big way, man. They had 7 nine non-conference wins. ULM snapped their long, long losing streak. Coastal Carolina was down on the road to Buffalo. They came back and won. They're off to a 3-0 start. Uh, App State had a sellout crowd, the eighth largest crowd in the history of Kid Brewer Stadium. They dominated Elon 44-10. It was Elon. They showed up. Look at that. Look at that attendance. Full. Full. So between Louisiana's win, Coastal's win, App State's win, Georgia State's win, Troy's win, ULM's win, South Al's win, was one big skid mark for the Sun Belt. Yeah, okay. Georgia Southern lost to Arkansas. That's not a surprise. Oh, Arkansas State lost to Washington. That's not a surprise. Texas State losing to Incarnate Word by eight. Oh, my word, Jay. I mean, Coach Bavadol, he's one of the higher-paid coaches in the Sun Belt. Really high on the list. And right now, Texas State is not getting what they're paying for. The guy's making $802,000 in the belt. I don't know how much longer he's got, to be honest with you. And I never, uh, look, I it's his job. I'm not rooting for some for anyone to get fired or anything else. But that seed was, was hot, and this week it is much hotter when you lose to Incarnate Word. Quarter after the hour, 269-1077. Phone lines are open. Jameis Winston taking responsibility. Boy, that old line was awful. We'll dig into some. Well, honestly, from an offensive standpoint, the historically bad performance by the Saints yesterday, it really did feel like a reverse of last week. Saints got their butt kicked, guys. How much of it was stab? How much do you put on, oh, well, they can't make adjustments? As Sean Payton said, no excuses, right? Okay not having the coaching staff on offense, adjustments being made throughout the game in conjunction with assistant coaches, personnel changes, formations on offense, all of that stuff. Okay, yeah, that that was tough, no doubt. But that was not the biggest reason the Saints, excuse my French, got their ass kicked yesterday. I'll tell you what that reason is, and oh, guys, have I got a treat for you. You're definitely going to want to stay tuned because my boy Paul Allen, my guy, who you know, I mean, where if you don't if you don't remember who Paul Allen is, the play-by-play man of the Minnesota Vikings, look at that powerful kid dominate. The man who screamed, "Why do you ponder passing?" Yeah, him. Uh, He had a call yesterday at the buzzer. You talk about the wide range of emotions. There has been no wider range of high and then straight to the bottom of the cellar in a matter of 1.7 seconds than you got from Paul Allen yesterday at the end of the Vikings-Cardinals game. And you were going to hear that call. When we come back right after this on ESPN, 1420 and dot com. Oh, how good was it, guys, to see the teams back out on the gridiron, to see NFL football back on our TVs? And lucky for us, that was just week one. DraftKings, the official daily fantasy partner of the NFL, is putting us in the center of the action for Week 2. Putting you in the center of the action. Because new customers can get a free shot at millions of dollars of total prizes with their first deposit by signing up for the DraftKings Fantasy app using code fourteen. Get in on the action now. That's code 1420. How do you play? Simple. Pick your lineup, stay under the salary cap, see how your team stacks up. That's it. Compete. Feel the NFL action like you've never felt it before with a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. Download the DraftKings app now and use code 1420. This week, new customers can get a free shot at a million dollars in total enter code 1420 to get a free shot at millions in total prizes with that first deposit that's code 1420 only at draftkings the official daily fantasy partner of the nfl minimum five dollar deposit required eligibility restrictions apply see draftkings.com for details move me The same week which ended yesterday in Charlotte. All that went into last week's improbable dominant win and then slid straight into the Nightmare Week. All the details that come in your way in seven minutes. Open phone lines in the meantime, 269-1077. Paul Allen. The play-by-play man of the Minnesota Vikings, who came on this show a few years ago, because after all, he's been on the show for years. He didn't realize it until I told him. But Touchdown! when he came on the show, I had to say, "Look, we—you know—why do you ponder passing? Are you kidding me?" He got the job. First of all, I love Paul Allen. When you talk about a, a, a broadcaster—just the emotions on the sleeve, pointing it out there. The Minnesota Vikings in row one row 2, had essentially an open audition to see who would be the next play-by-play voice of the Vikings. It's not like they went out there and said, we found a guy, we're going to hire him. They had a, an open competition, let a lot of people you know take some digs at it, and then the ones that were best from there, let them do a preseason game, and then boom, they end up hiring Paul Allen, who uh, does sports radio in Minneapolis now in the St. Paul area, and who also really... For years has been one of the best uh equestrian announcers, right? Horse racing, the races, he is he's great at it. You hear him in the open of my show. The champion by the teen turn of speed. Good man recorded that for me. But like he he almost sounds like a Viking. If you didn't know what he'd look like, you'd be like Are you kidding? Does this guy look like, you know, a stereotypical Viking you see in, like, cinema and television? Or, Sir. But the guy is just great at the high. Yes! The low. Are you kidding me? The season can't end like that. I mean, when it's a player on the Vikings doing great. Look at that. Can't dominate. Or when, of course, it's Brett Favre throwing an interception in the final moments of regulation in the NFC Championship game when the Vikings were in field goal range. Brett Favre goes back to pass. He pumps. Now he fires over the middle. Intercepted. I can't believe what I'm seeing right now. It was intercepted by Tracy Porter. near side to the 40, and John Sullivan runs him down at the 47-yard line. You've got to be kidding me. I can't believe what I just saw. Looking at that play, he should have just held on to a call. He should have. He could have easily have gotten five or six yards if he would have just pulled that thing down and dove forward. But why do you even ponder passing? I mean, you can take a knee and try a 56-yard field goal. This is not Detroit, man. This is the Super Bowl. Oh, it is. I mean, he's, he's, he's a legend, personal hero of mine, the great Paul Allen. And here's the thing. He really doesn't care that people bring up how much he gets into the games, nor should he as a legend in case you missed it. The Vikings fresh off of a loss to the Bengals week one and the Cardinals fresh off a dominant win against the Titans. You have one team that, you know, at least the last year's hasn't had hasn't been able to sort of break through with that, Big-time success in Arizona. So how would they handle being on the road and getting a huge win over a team that many consider to be a playoff team? A Titans team that I don't think is that good, but credit to them for getting a win against Seattle on the road yesterday. A reminder that you truly don't know what's going to happen on any given Sunday. And a Vikings team that was being overlooked that has talent and played well and played their way into the game and lined up for a game, a, a potential Game-winning thirty-eight-yard field goal. Well, the Vikings. Mm, Paul Allen. If I, 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 I got to be honest here, it really wasn't that close. He thought it was. In fact, maybe he thought it was in. We talk about highs and lows, Paul, and well, he went through it yesterday from the Vikings radio network. I snap, put down. Joseph, come on! It is good! No, he That's missed no it! Good. Are you kidding me? He missed it right. He missed it right. Oh my you kidding, kidding me? oh Oh, my. This, he missed it right. I oh. <laughs> snap, put down. I mean, good! No, he missed it. Joseph, come on! Oh, have you ever done that? I mean, I I should ask, all of us have done that. You've all watched a game. Maybe it's not a field goal and maybe you're not, you know, the announcer with hundreds and thousands of listeners and people tuning into a broadcast, but you've done it at home or at a game where you think the ball was caught. You think your team's got a touchdown. You, yes, no. You think it's all in, 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 uh, there's a, there's a second or two where this euphoria rushes over you and then boom. It's like somebody takes all of it away for you in a matter of seconds and the euphoria just goes to just it just goes to dread. I see. Uh-huh. Hot diggity. We're getting ready for the f- Yeah. Yeah. It just goes just boom. In a matter of seconds. The great pile, and I apologize. I snap, put down, Joseph, come on! It is good! No, It's no it. good! Are you kidding me? He missed it right. He missed it right. Are oh you my heavens. Me? Oh. Oh my. This. He missed it right. Oh. I snap, put down, Joseph, come on! It's no good. Oh, are you kidding me? Paul Allen. The highs and lows. For the Saints, it was the highest of highs after a win against Green Bay, but shortly thereafter, things started getting things just it started to go bad. And yet, because of last week, there were enough fans, analysts. Players, coaches that felt like, oh, they can overcome this, but it it got worse and worse and worse. A graphic yesterday said it all, and yet it's not the number one reason why the Saints got their butts whooped yesterday by the Panthers, and they did. Completely dominated. Well, good week that was and the biggest reason they got handled. After this, it's the Great Scott Show. I'm Scott Prather. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back. Scott Prather, hanging out with you on a Monday. Want to get involved in the show, tweet us at ESPN1420 or uh, phone lines are open two six nine ten seventy seven. 1077 Boy, seven days ago, Saints fans were euphoric enjoying the dopamine that went off in their brain throughout their body eight days ago and just carried that over for a few days. But it was pretty clear early on yesterday that it was going to be a bad Sunday. And if you held out hope and kept holding out hope, even when it was 17-7, that something was going to change, you hadn't really been paying attention. Or maybe you're just a hardcore fan, which I can respect. But when you see the, the the graphic on Fox where missing pieces, key players out today for the Saints, Michael Thomas, Trey Kwan-Smith, Eric McCoy, David Onyamata, Marcus Davenport, Will Lutz, CJ Gardner-Johnson, Marshawn Lattimore, Quan Alexander, Tanoa Kasagan. and uh, all of that, which, by the way, are all starters. CJ, GJ, if you want to say, well, he's not, he really is. The Saints don't really 1-4-3 a ton. It's the 5 DB. So when you got 10 starters out, and that graphic flies up there. And then you remember oh, wait, backups out too? King Crawley's on IR. Will Clap's on IR. Cesar Ruiz, he's starting at center. Oh, he did okay last week, right? Calvin Th- Throckmorton, oh, you know, he first started right. It, it should be okay. Yeah, you're starting to do a little too much of that. It can, it can, maybe, maybe this or that. Oh, Ryan Nelson, defensive line coach, out. Wide receivers coach Curtis Johnson, out. Tight ends coach Dan Rousher, out. Running backs coach Joel Thomas, out. Offensive line coach Brendan Nugent, out. And that's only some of the coaching staff. And all they said doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. As Sean Payton said, our protection plan, it wasn't good. It had nothing to do with us being shorthanded. Or having all these guys out to COVID. That would be excuses. They play better than us today. They deserve to win the football game. Sean Payton doesn't want to make excuses. I get it. And you know what? The biggest problem, as I wrote about over at ESPN1420.com, was not all of these things from the nightmare week that was. It was the offensive line. And if you want to say, oh well, Scott, that's because they were missing players that it does not excuse how bad that they were. Oh, Eric McCoy's gone. Okay, fine. You saw what they did last week when he went out. You still have two all pros there. And another alleged pro bowler and Andrew Speed. They couldn't protect anything. They couldn't protect a piggy bank if they wanted to. Unlock rushers nonstop. Four sacks on Jameis Winston. Again, doesn't even tell a smidgen of the story. The line is normally one of their strengths. Yesterday, it was the biggest reason that they lost. You heard Teron Armstead earlier. So communication, big thing. Got to clean it up. Yeah, they disguise things and... And then what does Jameis do? Whenever he's trying to do too much, he resorts back to Jameis. Let me heave this ball downfield. Too easy interceptions for Carolina. Well, it's all on. No, it's not all on Jameis. When your offense has six first downs for a game, when Alvin Kamara has eight carries for five yards, when you have by far the worst offensive performance of the entire Sean Payton era, Yeah. You're going to have a result like yesterday. The Panthers, according to ESPN, pressured Jameis Winston on 18 of his 28 dropbacks. Since ESPN began to track this statistic in 2009, it was the third highest pressure rate for any team. By far the highest pressure weight Jameis Winston has ever faced. There were multiple reasons the Saints got manhandled by Carolina yesterday. And the nightmare week certainly is a reason. It is not the biggest reason. Carolina's front seven squashed the Saints O-line. They looked confused. He looked as confused as Les Miles did whenever he was looking at a game clock. 128 total yards? Oof. Sean Payton said, got to look at the tape, live with it, and then like last week, got to move on, get ready. The Saints travel to New England next week. Following that game, they will return to New Orleans for the first time in well over a month. And then maybe have some semblance of a schedule. Jameis Winston, a little bit from the Saints quarterback after yesterday's horrendous performance across the board. What Just in terms of the rush I just got to get better, get us uh, in better protections and uh, just communicate better out there. Richard Walker. Uh, Jameis, the loss of a bunch of coaches on the offensive side, how much of an impact did they have on the game today and your game plan? It, None at all. We we just have to to push forward, man, put this one behind us, build on the positives and eliminate the negatives, and, uh, and come back next week ready to fight and compete. Doug Luton said that just to find any kind of rhythm. Would you agree with that? And and maybe explain that a little bit, please. Well, I I think rhythm is a big part of uh, offensive uh, success. So uh, we will find that uh, we will find a way uh, to, to to play the football that we like to play, and uh, and we're gonna learn from this one. The biggest gap between floor and ceiling for any team in the league this year is the New Orleans Saints. Said it before the season, said it after last week's win. I'll say it again today. There are going to be games that make you scratch your head both for good reasons and bad reasons. This season and weeks one and two could not be any more of a clear example of that. Will it help having coaches back, having some players back? Of course it will. But you can't bank on it. You don't know how long these things are going to last. You can't always say, oh, Everyone's going to come back eventually. And the Saints aren't going to make excuses, so I'm not going to make it for them. That was atrocious. I mean, I don't like watching snuff films, and thats I guess that's what it feels like when you watch one, watching that whole game from start to finish yesterday. Oof. Fortunately, there were some good NFL games yesterday. That was not one of them. There have been some entertaining primetime games. Despite Mike McCarthy's efforts to blow the game in L.A., the Cowboys managed to get a walk-off field goal win against the Chargers. Boy, the Chargers, two touchdowns taken off the board yesterday for silly mistakes. That Are the Chargers going to blow this one? It felt like maybe they were turning over a new leaf. Maybe they are. But that looked like a Phillip Rivers type of Chargers loss where you do a lot of things and just somehow find a way to lose? Right, but last night, Sunday night football, that was the Lamar Jackson experience. He made some throws, he made some mistakes, and it's like, ugh, and then he does things that there is no one else on the planet that can do it. I remember when like Tim Tebow would do a little jump pass. It almost like shoot a basket into the end zone. Oh, well. Lamar Jackson's off of both of his feet and just flings the ball. 25 yards down the field, wide open receiver, touchdown. Baltimore was down 11 to Kansas City in the fourth quarter. And a lot of people probably turned it off. And then Lamar Jackson has a quarter that reminded everybody that he was the MVP of the league two seasons ago. Runs for two touchdowns, flips into the end zone for the winning one-yard score. I love the fourth-and-one call. You can't, You even if it didn't work, I love it. You can't give the ball back to Patrick Mahomes. You can't. And you see John Harbaugh sitting there saying, Lamar, you want to go for it? You want to go for it? Okay, let's go. It was the right play no matter what. A gut check win. And one thing that I think everyone watching could agree on as they watched it, the taunting rule is so freaking stupid. Good Lord. But you're a defensive player. No, oh, God. Honestly, when, when Lamar flipped in the end zone, I'm like, oh, are they going to call taunting here? I don't even know if they really know what taunting is. Like, what's the line here? First of all, you're giving refs a judgment call again, which is which is always a bad idea. Celebrating is not taunting. Enjoying the moment. And even if there's a little brash, little trash talking, so what? Please. Owner of the Giants, John Mara, shut up. I think everybody's sick of it. No, I think you're sick of it at some point the nfl is going to cut back on it probably after this season because they're going to listen to just enough owners they're going to say yeah it seems like every fan base absolutely hates this what like i i each week when i'm watching football i can't decide what's more dumb or out of control the taunting rule in the nfl or the targeting rule in college probably the targeting rule in college i mean they you, th- I'm talking in every conference. You cannot tell me that the school in college football is working the way it was intended to. You won't convince me of that ever. You'd have a better job of convincing me to buy some beachfront timeshare that's actually in a desert next to a brown pond. Whatever game you're watching, it's like every single week, game-changing calls, players being ejected, absolutely horrendous judgment calls by officials. I mean, that Auburn-Penn State game, guy gets ejected for targeting, that's not targeting, that's going low, that's trying to keep someone out of the end zone? Awful. Awful. How come college football is right back in the place they were last year whenever everyone was saying, um, guys, we need to adjust this targeting rule. We need to make a change. We need to have two various different – and to go back and review things and still get it wrong, it's out of control, man. The, the, the NCAA rulebook defines it as when a player takes aim at an opponent for purposes of attacking with forcible contact that goes beyond making a legal tackle or legal block, or playing the ball. I mean, my goodness, can you like? Could you have a worse definition of a rule that is going to leave judgment entirely in the hands of the officials every single time, in the moment, spur of the moment? and a call that absolutely shifts momentum of a game, that takes points off a board, that, that ejects players. The rule used to be P.I., the judgment call that would make the biggest difference in a football game. Now in college football, it's targeting. two six 1077 Let's head to the phone lines. I think my man Sports Hello? hanging out on line one. Good morning, brother. What's up? Hello? Hey, what's up, sport? Hey, Scotty, what's uh, Yeah, so I've been thinking. Just I'm turning on the radio. Well, it was on earlier, but now I can call in. Talk about that targeting call. So you remember the guy? You know the linebacker for Clemson. He looks. He, his pads look just like the crazy linebacker for the opposing team on Waterboy. Big old shoulder pads. old yeah. guard. He got thrown out of the national championship game two years in a row for kind of a bogus targeting calls. You know, I mean, you can't ever get those four quarters back for that kid. You know what I mean? It's awful, man. Like it. I, I, I think I look. The spirit of the rule is fine, right? You want you basically I, want to promote player safety and reduce head injuries. Okay, I'm I I I am not against that. I think that is a good thing. Me neither. Um. But you know the automatic unsportsmanlike conduct ejections and the judgment of when and how to call these. Like college football's got to fix the targeting penalty, and this isn't new. This was this was the case last year, but it it just feels like they almost doubled down on it. And you know if an official makes a mistake on a holding call and it's a ten yard penalty, the player isn't ejected, right? When an official or or in some cases a review committee makes a mistake on a car a targeting call, as you pointed out, a player's ejected and then has to right. miss sometime the following week, depending on when the ejection happens and the unsportsmanlike. I mean it, it like what i am understand is like they got all these camera angles, all these paid people and like, you still can't get it right. That baffles my mind. And if you wanna if you want to make a call, why not like, okay, if if it needs to go to a review committee why are you wait? Like, why are you stopping play for five, ten minutes? Like, let the review committee look at it, um, yeah, and then inform go. the referee once the decision's been made. So the game continues. Man, then the, then the announcement is made, money. and and then. But I, I get it because then if it's not, you want to maybe take the penalty off. It's just there's, I don't know. It, it's it's bad and it's it's hurting the game in a big way. I mean, they spend so much money on so much stuff. I just don't understand why this can't be fixed. You know. That's just me. I, I'm with you, and I don't understand why the SEC can't get, you know, decent clock operators. It seems, but seems like they've had some. It, it's, that's, so that's, I feel like that's been happening since before you and I were even born, though. Like, there's bad clock operators in college football, clock. but specifically in the SEC, it's happened forever. Yeah. Oh, it's rigged. No, guys, we're, it. we're talking about, like, sometimes the home team clock operator is screwing things up that hurts their own team. Oh, well, there's something in on it, or Mike Knight. No, we're just talking total incompetence. I always showed up to my my nephew's Little League game. They're like, hey, uh, can you help us out? We're down a clock operator. Okay, just tell me how to do it. I I didn't make a single mistake, and yet you've got at the highest level all this money, and they can't get something right. There are just certain things college football's got to get right. And maybe they're just not getting it right because it's scared. Right, targeting thing, head injury, they're scared. Maybe it's a clock. I I don't understand. Uh, Probably a clock operator's just sitting there scared. But you know what? Scared money. Don't make money, guys. Thank you, Billy. CSPN1420N.com. For those that uh, rolled with me for the whole morning, thank you. A lot of issues when I got into the building early, early this morning. Speakers were out. Headphone sound was out. Couldn't hear anything. Uh, We managed to get through the first hour, had the Billy Napier interview. We aired it. It was great. Only place you're going to hear the one-on-one with Billy every week on a Monday. If you missed it, it'll be up on the podcast. Great Scott Show podcast page later this morning. The second hour will be up on the podcast page as well. Glad we got everything fixed. Tomorrow, Jay Walker will be in with me in the 8 o'clock hour, working on a couple of guests for the 7 a.m. hour as well. Greeny is next right here on ESPN 1420. Brad Topham coming up at 2. You got the guys with the afternoon lock-in. And we have a coaches show tonight from Pete's airing from 6 to 7. It's not every week this year, but tonight it is. Raging Cajun coaches, fall sports, Jay Walker chopping it up. It's going to be fun, and it's all right here on ESPN 1420. In the meantime, Greeny's next. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. I'm Scott Brather. Talk to you tomorrow right here on ESPN 1420.